0: Hi there, I'm Jason Schulman, and this is New Books in Australian and New Zealand Studies. My guest today is Stephanie Brooks. She's a lecturer in journalism at Monash University. She's here to talk about her new book, Politics, Media, and Campaign Language, Australia's Identity Anxiety, published by Anthem Press in April 2017. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to have you on. So, Stephanie, how did you get interested in election campaign language?
1: Well, I actually came at this uh, in a bit of a roundabout way. So my initial interest was actually in national identity and the way that different groups in societies, in different nations think about that identity. Um, So that's actually where I started thinking about this. Um, I had done a little bit of research earlier in my kind of – academic undergraduate career, actually, uh, thinking about government anti-terrorism advertising and the way that that advertising constructed the nation in very specific ways and had groups that belonged to that nation and groups that didn't. So I was interested in these ads that started popping up after September eleven. Uh, specifically in Australia, the US and the UK, that kind of said, you know, keep an eye out for anything that doesn't quite fit. Um, You know, if you see something, say something is probably the catchphrase that people will remember. Or in Australia, the ads were be alert and not alarmed. Um, And they really fascinated me. And so through that, I became interested in political discourse and the way that political discourse constructed national identity. Um, And the more I thought about that, the more it seemed to me that election campaigns in particular were an interesting area to think about because they were these moments that you know were predictable that recurred you know every three four years um, where we all kind of stop a little bit more and pay attention a little bit more to political language and where the kind of attention of the nation more so than it normally is is on these grand kind of discourses at times um, about who we are and who we want to be and where we want to belong. Um, but also some of that language is very mundane. It's about the small detail um, that's very relevant to our day-to-day lives. And so for all of those reasons, I I was drawn to this idea that actually paying attention to what campaigning leaders say when they're trying to get our attention, when they're speaking directly to us and asking us to listen um, might be a really interesting window through which we could start to think about national identity and the ways in which we understand what it means to belong um, and how we deal with potential threats to that identity as well.
0: Mm-hmm. You say that election campaign language offers a window into the national mood, and you said there uh, that you know it happens kind of every three years, maybe a little uh, more frequently recently. But mm. but how does it how, how does it kind of um, you know kind of stop the nation? Because people don't usually think about these issues during the interim three years, right? So how, how how does that happen that that you know there's an election coming and now people are tuned in.
1: Well, there's a couple of different ways it happens, and I actually think one of the things that is important to remember um, is that we we pay attention to varying degrees. So some of us who are political junkies might be super interested throughout you know, the period where there's no campaign happening and where government is happening. Some of us will pay more attention as the campaign kicks off and and as, you know, the media start, you know, focusing more attention on politics and the people that are are vying for our attention and asking us to kind of trust them to lead the nation for the next three years. And some people will actually only pay attention in those last moments of a campaign or will be kind of rusted on supporters to one party or another uh, and not pay as much attention as others. So there are varying levels of attention. But what does happen in a campaign is that leaders and then the media that reports on, you know, the the campaigns and their electoral kind of efforts will take a breath and say, okay, you know, this is a moment and it happens at every campaign. This is a moment where we might make a change if we're in opposition um, and we're asking for change or this is a moment to steady the ship and to keep things going. Elections are always constructed in the opening speeches, in the big policy launch speeches, um, in the opening press conferences, as critical moments where Australians need to come together and make decisions about the future of the nation, about who they want, you know, to be in the future. So, you know, the, the current Prime Minister will call the election and say, you know, now is the time to look back on the achievements of the last three years or two years or one year, depending on how frequently we're calling these campaigns, uh, and see how wonderful it's been and, and you know, go ahead and, and continue to put our policies in place. Um, the opposition leaders will respond and say, okay, here it is. You know, here's the moment where we can actually turn things around, where we can get rid of this useless government and and do things the way we really should be doing them. And we can end this period of of waste or of, you know, division or whatever it is that they're kind of trying to pin on their opposition, no matter which of those happens, what you do have are these moments where they are very explicitly appealing to Australians to take note of how they feel about the nation that they live in and the communities that they live in, how they feel about whether or not it's been a positive and wonderful couple of years or whether it's been a time of, you know, division and hardship, and to respond and act at the ballot box in ways that you know, really do kind of fit in with those bigger discourses. Um, So for me, that's where this is a really valuable window. And really, anytime you do get a moment of change or a moment of challenge, that's a moment where these identity discourses become really important because what they do is they force us to look explicitly or or pay attention to things that otherwise seem very mundane and banal. So the notion that we live in a national community, for example, is this kind of taken-for-granted, very banal thing that, that plays out in the background that we mostly don't really you know, think about in explicit terms. Um, We don't think about why it is that we need, um, you know, to pay attention to what's happening in other parts of this kind of, you know, Australian landmass. You know, why is it particularly relevant to someone living in Melbourne, what the weather is in Sydney or, you know, whether there's been some kind of, you know, um, incident in the news happening in Perth. Um, But at election campaign time, we call those political boundaries of the nation into you know into attention we ask people to think about themselves as members of a national community in ways that they don't necessarily do explicitly in their day-to-day lives
0: yeah, and and then w- when the election campaign is you know coming around, you also the nation also asks itself what is the what is Australia's place in the world? Mm. And wh- why is that such a big question uh, during election time? You know, is uh, Australia part of a global network? Is is it British? Is it part of Asia? Wh- why does why does the country kind of question what its place should be in the world during these these key moments?
1: Well, I mean, I will say that it's not limited to these moments, and we certainly Australians do have a tendency to think consistently and explicitly about where they belong in the world and that's an anxiety about who we are that dates back to well, actually before federation Um, and that very much is characterized by these these kind of ongoing questions of who are we exactly who are we politically who are we culturally where do we fit and and are we safe in those places and those contexts that we'd like to place ourselves in how secure are we at election campaign time because we are paying attention very explicitly to who we want to be in the future and we're being asked to make decisions that are being constructed as critical, we then use these moments and political leaders in particular use these moments to offer a vision of who Australia is or should be in the world. And again, these might be really positive constructions. Um, they might be constructions that paint Australia, for example, as, um, you know, a leader in the Asia Pacific region and, and as a nation that, you know, can be, and this we saw particularly kind of in the late 1980s and and early 1990s where we very, we saw this very explicit reimagining of Australia's role in the Asia Pacific as a kind of, um, a leader who would work you know, as a kind of link between the US um, and the region and would kind of, um, you know, take a kind of local leadership role. So you see these moments where we use elections to start to think about how Australia can position itself in really useful ways, how it can Kind of um, navigate, I suppose, between wanting to be or, or feeling that it should be part of this kind of Western sphere um, and yet having this kind of unique geographic location. Um, so you can get these very positive constructions happening in these moments, but you also see the ongoing anxieties that Australians have had about their security and kind of military economic and you know identity terms playing out in these moments too where during election campaigns because we are putting forward you know policies because we are thinking in explicit terms about the direction the nation is taking or who we want to be in the future you have these moments where you know at times where we do the big vision you know speeches or at times where leaders are asked very specific detailed questions about you know defense policies or foreign policy Um, where we do attempt to kind of navigate what might it look like if we do this or that. So you might have, for example, a a, a political party in power who have aligned themselves quite explicitly with the US. And this is something that has happened, you know, for quite a period of time. Um, Early constructions of Australian identity security saw us aligned, you know, very much as part of the empire and then through that to the Commonwealth. Um, But you did see, you know, post-World War II a, a shift thinking about Australia as as part of this group of you know great and powerful friends so we had the UK we had the US and these were the the big powerful friends that were going to guarantee our security but also help locate us in the world in terms of where we belonged Um, but this hasn't been kind of um, something that's that's not uh, challenged Um, so some campaigning leaders um, whether it's the prime Minister or whether it's the the person who wants to be the Prime Minister have actually challenged that and thought in different ways about how Australia might be more independent um, you know how it might talk back to or reimagine its role as one of those great and powerful friends and be either less reliant on or less subservient to the US for example in some of its foreign policy decisions um, so these are really they're, they're ongoing themes and while the the kind of specific content of them has changed a lot over time what we really do see, and what emerged really clearly in my research was although okay we've shifted from talking about the empire to thinking about the australian u.s alliance for example or we've started to reimagine our role in really different ways the underlying discourse which says who are we and where do we belong and the kind of feeling of anxiety that that swirls around those questions really has not changed at all since federation so in the campaigns from as early as you know 1901 1903 all the way through to 2016 those same kind of worries and concerns that say okay we're not sure really how we're going to locate ourselves and we need to carve out a place but in order to do that we need you know some kind of either friend or protector, or we need to rethink who we're going to be and how we're going to do it. Um, Those questions really haven't changed at all. Um, And that was really fascinating to me. I was expecting in this research to see more of a shift. Um, You get this idea that there's an arc in Australian constructions of identity or in the development of our identity that sees Australia, you know, over time kind of grow up and emerge as a, a kind of independent player on the national stage. And while those discourses are there, they're very much consistently underlined by an ongoing anxiety about um, how powerful we actually are and how much we're actually able to determine our own fate.
0: Yeah, that was really interesting that... that very you know there has been a lot of consistency since federation and one area that you talk about which was really interesting was kind of the silence of indigenous issues mm. uh, seems to be a common theme uh before i let you go stephanie i want to ask you about what's changed in the media though certainly things have changed in the last hundred years how, how has that kind of um mediation kind of changed how politicians interact with the public during the campaigns
1: oh there's been so much change um and really, you know, you look at the, the landscape from those early campaigns and things could not be more different in, in kind of, um, in some ways. So, you know, 1901, 1903, you know, the, the first couple of decades really before the introduction of radio, um, in the 20s, what you do see is, um, a much, I mean, the volume of campaign speech, interview, and interaction is much lower. Um, you have town hall meetings really as the central focus of the a, of a campaign, but campaigns also really were not national in the way that they are now. Um, they weren't coordinated and professional in the way that they are now, and some of that professionalization has been accompanied by a kind of um, explosion in 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 the opportunities for media interaction and interview. Um, so you now see a professionalization in the campaigns that responds to and is driven by, um, the kind of increasingly professional demands of the media in some ways. Um, and, and some of this hasn't actually kept, um, you know, hasn't kept time. So, um, often now, we will still hear repetition in campaign language. One of the things that surprised me, for example, was looking um, at, you know, um, some of John Howard uh, and and Kevin Rudd's language from 2007 in particular, where there was so much repetition in their speeches, interviews. Um, And you often hear um, criticisms of campaign language that say, well, this language is, is, um," you know, they're on message and they're saying the same things over and over again. And in some ways that's a, a layover from the days in which you could go and do a kind of stump speech um, in, in lots of different media markets and it wouldn't necessarily cross over. But as our media is increasingly national in a lot of ways because of the, the affordances of the digital, if nothing else, um, you can't really go and do a speech in Sydney and a speech in Melbourne and a speech in Perth and give the same speech over and over again because, you know, the online universe doesn't have those boundaries around it, those local boundaries around it in the same way perhaps that media used to, um, you know, decades ago. So that's kind of one side of it. The other side, of course, is that there are increasing opportunities for politicians to bypass journalism, to bypass political journalism entirely and to speak directly to voters. Um, The take-up of that is very slow still in Australia. So we certainly have had different campaigning leaders dabble with digital media, social media, um, with direct mailing and, and all of those kinds of ways in which they might appeal directly to voters. And that is a response, again, to this idea that there has been a change in political journalism, that political journalism has become either more adversarial um, or that it has become a space in which, um, you know, politicians feel that they might not be able to get their message across in the ways that they would like. Uh, and so that's something that political journalism is trying to respond to as well. So how, as a political journalist, do you deal with an environment in which there are so many opportunities for leaders to kind of directly speak voters and and attempt to bypass you know the mainstream or the legacy news media so there's been huge change in in these areas Um, but i will say what hasn't changed is the kind of fundamental goal of campaign language which is to i you know to communicate with voters in ways that speak to their lived experience and to connect with voters in ways that allow australians to identify with the image of the nation um, the problems the challenges the exciting you know visions for the future that leaders are trying to c- communicate. And there's kind of, you know, while there has been an immense amount of change in how campaigns are conducted, in the, the digital kind of news media landscape in which they now operate, um, that fundamental goal of political language to speak to, you know, as Menzies put it, the hearts and minds of voters, um, that really hasn't changed at all.
0: Stephanie, I want to thank you for being on the show today. That's Stephanie Brooks. Her new book is Politics, Media, and Campaign Language, Australia's Identity Anxiety. It's published by Anthem Press in April 2017. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.